This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Ottawa has rejected the idea of, quote, a prisoner exchange that was floated as extradition hearings began in Vancouver for Huawei Chief Financial Officer Meng Wanzhou. She and her company have been charged with skirting American sanctions on Iran and stealing corporate secrets. She is being held in a very luxurious form of house arrest, while Canadians Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig The two Michaels are suffering extremely harsh conditions in Chinese jails. They've been held now for 415 days in what most people see as retaliation for Meng's arrest. There's no inkling of any progress in the bid to release them. Meanwhile, China is also in the news as the place where the newest pneumonia-like coronavirus originated. Uh, I'll give out the numbers. Let's hear from you on what you think about all of this. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Now joining me, Chuck Kwan of the Toronto Association for Democracy in China, and on the line, Charles Burton, Senior Fellow at the Macdonald Laurier Institute and an expert on Canada-China relations. Welcome and thanks for joining us and Gong Hei Fa Choi. Happy Chinese New Year. Good afternoon. Gong Hei Fa Choi. Thank you. Uh, so your reaction to the latest in all of this, this idea of a, quote, prisoner exchange was floated and the prime minister rejected it. Uh, he's right to do that. I, I, I think once we get into prisoner exchange, we fall into the same trap that uh, China wants us to be in. Basically, we just give up our sovereignty and say, here, you know, anytime we got your people, you take a couple of people, and then we then do an exchange. This is unheard of in in, in di- diplomacy, especially. Uh, it was interesting. I mean, it came that idea came from Eddie Goldenberg, who was a senior advisor to Prime Minister Jean Chrétien, and uh, you know, we were seeing all kinds of things. There was a report that there were uh, people paid to kind of demonstrate protest in favor of Meng Wanzhou at the hearing. Charles Burton, does any of that surprise you? Well, I mean, it really was sort of crazy where these uh, uh, Canadian actors were given the impression they were going to be movie extras and offered $100 to hold up these signs. Um, Subsequently, the video of them was put on Chinese uh, uh, state TV in their reports of the Meng extradition hearing suggesting that there was extensive mainstream Canadian support for the release of Ms. Meng and that she was being treated in a way which is unjust. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty pathetic um, that, that China is reduced to this kind of charade uh, to um, divert attention from the fact that, that Ms. Meng is being held on a serious charge of fraud against uh, the Hong Kong and Shanghai Bank that would have exposed them to um, serious damage to their capacity to to do international business through American banks, and um, and that if she is sent to uh, the United States, it's possible that facing a long prison sentence, she might strike a deal with the U.S. authorities, 
whereby she provides uh, clearer information about the exact relationship between the Huawei company and Chinese uh, security and intelligence. So, you know, um, I'm, I'm not surprised, but, but I, I am disappointed that things can get to this kind of low point in our relations with China. Uh, China is a being a bully, but it's also very used to orchestrating things. Uh, as you can see, for the protesters, are mostly for the domestic consumption, but also uh, a little bit for the Canadian public as well. But I think that the thing that we need to worry most, and this comes from the prison exchange ideas that was, was floated by a segment of, of the, uh, I guess, business community, for lack of a better word, uh, because there's a segment of society uh, 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 former Prime Minister Chrétien also proposed this same prison exchange. Uh, so it's not surprising. Um, what they want to do is to have a maintain a good relationship with China so that the business can flow as usual. Um, the problem with that is that in doing so, you're giving up basically, I would say, our sovereignty in the sense of we, we just become a, a non-entity anymore if we start giving up, you know, doing prison exchange every time Chinese uh, get a hold of us. What they don't understand is that every single businessman, every single person in Canada could be at risk of being a pawn in the retaliation that Chinese game at the Chinese place. There, where does it go from here? I mean, what is going to happen next? You know, we... The Prime Minister asked the Americans not to sign their trade deal with China until these two were released. I mean, good luck with that. That that certainly didn't happen. So what has to happen to get these guys released? Charles Burton. Well, I think certainly the, the idea is that they should be held as long as Ms. Mung is still in Canada. And, you know, we had the previous case of Kevin Garrett, um, who was held for 775 days until the extradition case of Su Bin, a uh, Chinese uh, national resident in Canada who um, purloined hundreds of gigabytes of Boeing aerospace data, was resolved. In the case of Mr. Su, uh, instead of waiting for the end of the extradition process, he decided to voluntarily go to the United States and go state's evidence. And once uh, Su was, was gone from Canada, Mr. Garrett was released. So I, I do think that um, from that point of view, you know, that's where the Chinese are taking it. I don't think it has to be that way. I, I would say, uh, just to follow up on uh, on the insights of uh, Chuck there that I absolutely agree with, is that the Canadians who, who make these absurd statements about prisoner exchanges are really uh, catering to the Chinese government. In other words, the fact that they, they say such things will gain them favor with the Chinese regime and facilitate their uh, business relationships with China, but uh, I don't think anyone seriously thinks that, that it's conceivable that any anything along those lines could, could happen in terms of Canadian law and practice. The other aspect is that, and another aspect which is raised, is to suggest that the um, arbitrary detention of Kovrigan's favor is not really the Chinese regime's fault, but due to um, the actions of Donald Trump who it is claimed is simply holding Ms. Ms. Meng as a means of leverage in the ongoing trade dispute between the United States and China. That's similarly absurd. For one thing, the the process of, of uh, charging Ms. Meng with these serious charges of fraud long predates the, the Trump presidency. And the bottom line is that the, the hostage diplomacy is being carried out by the People's Republic of China alone, 
it has nothing to do with anything on the part of the Trump regime, as uh, as as little as you as you suggest that they are supportive of of um, of uh, doing anything to get Kovrigan's favor released, uh, at, because this is a result of their extradition request. After all, so they should be taking responsibility. But I think it's incumbent on Canada now to seek other means of retaliation and pressure on the Chinese government to bring about the release of Kovrigan's favor as a national priority. And if that affects our business relationship with China, I think it's a cost that Canadians should be prepared to pay. Uh, You've been citing business people wanting to facilitate their business. I I think a lot of non-business people, you know, I don't know what you would call them, regular Canadians, folks folks that don't have... uh, any particular interest with China think, oh, it sounds good to me. And uh, Earl in Oakville, that's what you think, right? Oh, Libby, thanks for taking my call. Go ahead. Um, I have to disagree with your guest. I think a prisoner swap would be a good idea. The only other retaliation we could do is to kick Huawei out of the country. Kick them out, you know? Or not go 5G with them which maybe might be the right thing to do anyway. Yeah, uh, that's correct. Why do you think that uh, prisoner exchange is a good idea? These... I, think, I think that's what they're doing. They're, they're, it's, uh, they're, they're holding the Canadian, us Canadians in China because we have, well, we have Meng Zhang, whatever her name is, in, in our custody, and the Americans aren't doing us any favors. They, they're not pressuring the, the Chinese with the way they should be doing the, the Prime Minister Trudeau's gone to the American to ask them for help. They're not doing us any favors. They don't care. And the only thing I can see that what we can do is to kick the hem the the wow the hell out of Canada and 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 or prisoner exchange. I don't think there's anything else we can do. Okay, Earl. I will let our guests respond to that. I mean, I think I, I think a lot of people think that. Well, if you think that, then we're questioning the integrity of Canadian as Canada as a nation. I mean, this we're not at war. We're not exchanging prisoners of war. We're not exchanging spies. We're exchanging somebody who has been used. Well, she is accused of spying. Well, <laughs> but, she yeah, is. But, yeah. And, of course, obviously, the two Michaels have been accused of spying as well. But when, you come to, when it comes down to is basically hostage-taking. And this is the same old argument that, you know, if somebody takes your kid and demand uh, $5 million, are you going to give in? Or, you know, that, uh, I mean, it's not, not as personal as that, but certainly that's something that is what China is practicing right now. Uh, Charles Burton, I mean, uh, you know, I, again, um, I think that a lot of people think this. Well, uh, of course, if, if we were to to somehow or other, you know, violate the independence of the Canadian judiciary and the Prime Minister through, I'm not sure what unconstitutional means, you know, bring Ms. Meng to, to uh, a checkpoint in somewhere between Canada and China and, and, and do one of those spy into the cold kind of actions of, of our people walking across and Ms. Meng being sent across that that would embolden the Chinese regime to engage in further uh, outrages of this nature. I mean, let's bear in mind, there is absolutely no evidence whatsoever that Kovrigan's favor have done anything wrong in terms of violating the laws of China. You know, the Prime Minister himself has said that their arrest is arbitrary. If, if, we, uh, if we make this concession and somehow or other form a moral equivalent between the detention of Meng Wanzhou 
and the uh, horrendous uh, mistreatment of Kovrigan's favor, then we're setting a very dangerous precedent that China will presumably uh, repeat over and over again so long as it works. So I, I, I really don't think that this is the this is the solution. Certainly, you know, the basis for expelling Huawei would have to be under Canadian law. But I think that there are other things that we can do to pressure the Chinese regime in terms of visas and cracking down on um, on Chinese money laundering and and uh, Chinese agents of influence and espionage in in Canada that would send a signal to the Chinese government that if they're going to continue to hold Kovrigan's favor, there will be costs for that regime. We are talking about our situation with China and what, if anything, can we do at this point to get the two Michaels released? The extradition hearing uh, has uh, started in Vancouver for Meng Wanzhou, whether she should be extradited to the United States. There are people who have been proposing prisoner exchanges. I'm here with Chuck Kwan of the Toronto Association for Democracy in China and Charles Burton, who's a senior fellow at the Macdonald Laurier Institute and an expert on Canada-China relations. And uh, we have a few minutes left, but I'd like to pivot to another subject, and that is this new coronavirus that is coming out of Wuhan. And the Chinese government has been releasing certainly a lot more information than they did the last time around with SARS. But I still hear from people who don't believe that we are getting the whole truth. Chuck Kwan, what's your feeling on this? I I feel that uh, basically China lacks a public health infrastructure and sanitation infrastructure that... uh, that actually caused the, all these things to happen. And of course, I don't believe in, in the Chinese government's complete transparency. Uh, China is used to covering up uh, whatever their human rights abuses may be, or now in this case, their public health fiasco. So I, I you know, I give them maybe 50%, you know, on effort, but certainly uh, of being transparent, but I don't think uh, they are doing all they all they should. But I just want to pivot back to a little bit. Sorry about this, but there's wait, a whole, wait, wait, wait. Uh, Let me hear Charles' oh, okay. take on this, and we will get back to it. Charles, I agree with Chuck. I think that um, you know the Canadian government would like a lot more complete information about what's going on with this particular um, new type of uh, of uh, pneumonia. Know, the uh, coronavirus, and and we need to be able to make preparations uh, for it here in Canada, knowing uh, the nature of the disease and the the mortality, and we need to know much more about the spread. I, I know from my own experience in in communicating with my uh, Chinese um, former classmates back in China on WeChat that um, the postings on the coronavirus are being censored and and deleted, um, even a. Uh, a relative innocuous message that I sent to my classmates urging them to wear masks and keep away from markets and New Year's uh, uh, shops and um, and places where there are a lot of people uh, was in fact taken down by the Chinese government. So, wow. you know, I think there is a concern that, that whether the Chinese regime can get out of their old habits of trying to control things uh, and, uh, and speak honestly and fulsomely in a way that will allow us to to take the best appropriate measures to reduce the possibility of uh, massive mortality from this uh, new disease here in our own country. As late as yesterday, two public health officials uh, were talking to CBC about uh, they don't think there would be human-to-human transmission. Well, 
now we have proven in China now there are cases of human to human transmission. Yeah, that's a couple of days old. Yeah. We've known that for a couple but, of but days. But we kind of keep thinking buying the China line is no, that's not human to human. So, so in that sense, I, 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 you know, there. No, no, no. That's that. That was that was uh, brought to light quite a few days ago, and, and yesterday I was talking to two infectious disease specialists, and okay. it, we know that it's human to human, and. They seem to have confidence in the numbers out of China, but but I've heard from a lot of people who don't. And given what they do on all other fronts, uh, you know, I, it's, it's hard all, to argue all, with that. It's all political. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Okay. And you uh, you wanted to get back to our original conversation here, right? There is a uh, big push from the civil society uh, for Parliament to adopt the Minsky Act. That's the act that was named after a Russian dissident. Uh, Magnitsky Act, Magnitsky yes. Act, right. And, and uh, it's, it's a way to sanction or freeze the assets of high officials from a country uh, when they're deemed to have violated human rights or, or, or um, uh, having that um, uh, violation. That Now, China has not, uh, Russia has it. I mean, we apply to Russia, we apply to other countries but not China. And my question is why? Why aren't we doing the same thing to China as we do to other countries that have, have human rights violations? Charles, do you think that's a good idea? Well, I think certainly at least the threat of putting um, Chinese officials on the Magnitsky list does put a lot of pressure on the Chinese regime because there's so many senior Chinese officials um, who have uh, significant resources here in Canada money of, of dubious provenance um, uh, being laundered through BC casinos and, and um, invested in, in real estate, that that, in fact, could pressure the regime significantly. I mean, it's along the same lines as why is the Chinese government so keen on protecting Meng Wanzhou? Well, of course, there is a factor that I mentioned earlier, concern about what she might reveal to the U.S. authorities if, if she is extradited there. And there's also, I think, a uh, uh, an expectation on the part of the elite that support the current authoritarian, non-democratic regime in China that their regime will protect their people when they're abroad from uh, foreign charges. And, and you know, there are an awful lot of, um, of Chinese people who have resources here in Canada that yeah. come from, from places that could possibly um, have uh, uh, legal implications for them and they want the protection of the Chinese government to make sure that they can protect their, their large wealth uh, un, unhampered. So I think from that point of view, the Magnitsky Act is a very, very powerful tool. And the fact that our government is not applying it to China is really indicative of the extent of the co-optation of our elite by uh, Chinese communist interests. Okay, we haven't even touched on the subject of uh, whether we should allow Huawei to compete for 5G. Here in Canada, a lot of countries are saying absolutely no way. Uh, uh, we have very little time left. Uh, is that a lever, Chuck? I think so. I certainly agree with your first caller saying that, you know, I think we should explore every single lever that we have. I mean, my, my pet peeve was that we, we haven't exposed a lot of Chinese wrongdoings to the Canadian public. So what, what happened is that the Chinese government is using these actors to, to, to show the Canadian public that, hey, there's support to free Wang Wangzhou and all this stuff. We're not playing the same level of uh, you know, games uh, that the Chinese is. 
Okay, so uh, we're talking about Magnitsky sanctions, we're talking about Huawei, but maybe uh, we shouldn't allow Huawei notwithstanding. Charles Burton, in a few seconds, yes or no, we should or we shouldn't? Oh, I think that it would be unacceptable to the Canadian public for Canada at a time when the Chinese regime is holding two uh, Canadian citizens under harsh con- such harsh conditions to agree to make the concession and take the security risk of allowing Huawei to dominate the Bell and TELUS networks. And uh, in terms of leverage, I, I, I really don't think it should be leverage in the sense that if, uh, if Kovrigan's favor were released, I don't think that it would be a good idea to to risk our national security and infrastructure by allowing a, a Chinese-dominated firm to have such control over a critical Canadian infrastructure. Okay. That is all the time we have. Thank you so much, Chuck Kwan from the Toronto Association for Democracy in China and Charles Burton, an expert on China-Canada relations. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.